Welcome back to another Macam in the Middle podcast, the second leg of the playoff semi-final between Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday was played last night and it did finish in a 1-1 draw, which sees Sunderland through to the playoff final against Wickham. Obviously, Sunderland won the first leg 1-0 at home and a 93rd minute equaliser from Patrick Roberts was what sealed the victory in the tie for Sunderland. And for what feels like a regular occurrence at the minute, John, every season. We are back to Wembley. Yeah, we love we love this place, don't we? Seems to be our our second home. Um obviously the only thing I'd say this time is maybe we've I I think it is I think it's different this time. Um I think we're going it obviously we're banging form. No one wants to play us, you know, as opposed to years gone by and you know we've we've really struggled but these these players seem to be rising to every every occasion, you know, playing in front of 45,000, no matter what anyone says, is still still a tough, tough mental uh, mental battle, which, you know, these players have, have thrived on and, and uh, done the job. So, you know, it's, it's different this time. We know we know our record and obviously we, we did win when there was no fans in there. But, you know, you just think this time, you know, it's it's definitely doable with the team and the manager that, that we've got and yeah hopefully you know like I say we we go and do the business things have to change eventually don't they well we're un- we're unbeaten in one aren't we so you we can't are. argue yeah 100% in the last one but like John said there James we are going into the final in good form I think it's 15 games unbeaten now um, obviously under, Jack, under Jack Ross in that season would kind of tail it off a little bit towards the end similar under Lee Johnson it's a much different feel and a lot more optimism, I think. The fact that this team just don't seem to know how to lose at the moment. Yeah, it is very interesting. I think one of only Alex, one of well, I think Alex Nails lost once, hasn't he? As a Sunderland manager against yeah. the Dons, and he'd been through the door about three seconds um, at that point. So, kind of write that one off. The, the run's been incredible. I believe um, he's unbeaten in EFL playoff fixtures so far. Yeah, I don't think he's lost in in five something like that. So the manager gives you hope, um, and the players have have started to turn it on. I mean that front four, right, of of Ross Stewart, Pritchard, Clark, and Roberts is like Pritchard went for eleven million once. I think Roberts went for about twelve million. Clark went for fifteen million, and Ross Stewart could be like a fifteen million pound player one day. You never know. So if you consider that, it's like you start looking at it and you start thinking, wow, this this team is actually pretty good. And I think yeah. it's really, really pleasing that the the manner of the the manner of the performance in the second half after Sheffield Wednesday scored was pleasing um, in terms of getting getting a goal back because I'm hardwired as a Sun fan to, to believe that as soon as something goes wrong then something else is going to go wrong yeah. very far and I know it's daft but I thought the tie had completely gone which is stupid really when you you know when you're still in it and it's it's heading towards extra time. Um, and penalties, but I, I honestly thought we were going to lose it because that's the life of a, a Sunderland fan and a, a Sunderland reporter. To be honest, you, you just automatically assume that you know once Sheffield Wednesday score that they're um, that they're going to score again, especially at Hillsborough. But credit to Alex Neil, I thought the game was crying out for a change. Um, he didn't. He clearly knows more than most put together. To be honest, because it paid yeah. off. He saw it spot on, and he didn't cave to the pressure and. He thought the players on the field would get the job done, and they did. Um, and you've seen you've seen with the likes of Clark and Roberts now, who have been a bit 
hit and miss for for Sunderland. They've got real quality in there. They're starting to to really turn it on, and it's it's uh, exciting. I'm, I'm very excited to go to Wembley again. Um, and here's hope we can finally get out of this godforsaken division because I'm sick of it. I feel for Sheffield Wednesday fans because I think they're a good group and I think they're a good club and a, a big club as well. Massive stadium, thirty-four thousand there. Darren Moore is a good manager. Um, and they're going to be stranded in League One again. And I don't want to be with them, to be honest, because it's rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. And like James said there, Michael, as a Sunderland fan, you do think the worst when something doesn't go your way. But I don't think yesterday's game was because we're a Sunderland fan. I think, you know, taking into account we had a 1-0 lead, we didn't play particularly well on the front foot um, for large parts of the game last night. And obviously, you know, you've got a 34,000 crowd there. As soon as Sheffield Wednesday scored the game does swing in their favour. And I said at the time, I thought the first goal would decide the tie, which obviously the first goal of Sheffield Wednesday scored like they did, it only draw the game level. But there was that sense, and it's not just because of Sunderland fan, that they would go on, use that momentum to their advantage and go on and win the game. Yeah, that was the concern when um, Sheffield Wednesday did score. Uh, I was I was quite annoyed at the... But I won't. You know my thoughts on defending. I wasn't very impressed with the defending of the goal. But in saying that, I thought our game management up till that point had actually been really good. Um, I did, and I know Chef Wed had a few chances and all that. But for, apart from was it Briars had the overhead kick and the goal. I can't remember a shot yeah. they had. Um, but in, but I get what you mean. At that point, I was gearing it a bit. Um, but I still had this. Maybe I was just on some sort of drugs or some alcohol that I don't even drink. But I, on I, I still felt we were in the tie. I still felt we would get. I felt if we get at Sheffield Wednesday, I thought we would score because I've, I've crossed the two games. I don't think they've looked great defensively. I think if you put a bit of pressure on them, I think you would like, expose their back line a bit. But I don't blame Southern fans for thinking that because obviously at Hillsborough, uh, didn't they have the? Didn't they end up having the best home form in the league this I season? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe I think we were like second or something. But uh, I did wonder how big an advantage having the home tie second actually would be. Um, and a lot of people I saw had said that Sheffield Wednesday will win the tie just because they're at home second, which doesn't guarantee you anything. So credit, but as James said, credit to Alex Neal for the guys for sticking into it. Um, it would have been very uh, if we had Lee Johnson. Not to try and make too many comparisons here, but if we had Lee Johnson we would have lost that tie 100% as soon as we went 1-0 down on the night. And we lost 3-0 there in November, obviously. So we know that we didn't fare well um, at Hillsborough under him. But regardless, you've, you've got to give the, the boys the credit for it. And what it does is that it keeps the... It's similar to what I was saying in the league form, like after the Rotherham game, equaliser, it keeps the unbeaten run going. It keeps your momentum. It keeps confidence high. And, um, you know, like, like John said earlier, we love Wembley, um, but I think maybe we should either just request to have it play behind closed doors so we win, or it, uh, here's a theory for you. When we have the home dressing room last time, we won against Tramia. We've got the home dressing room this time, so maybe I'm looking into that too much, but I thought I'd put that out there. Did we have the home dressing room against Portsmouth or Charlton? I don't know about that, but... No, because they're, they're, they're letters first ahead of ours, so it's P-S-C-S, so Portsmouth, Sunderland, Charlton, Sunderland. Whereas last time, Tramia, their letter in the alphabet is after ours. I think that's how it works at Wembley. I could be wrong. But Interesting. Interesting. I'm not yet, sure. I looked into that too much, but I don't care. <laughs> but realistically, the game kind of went as expected, John. And for the first you know, hour, there wasn't really any chances in the game. But either side, like, John, like Michael said, there was you know, that overhead kick, kind of a half chance at most. 
um, Danny Bart's header, which again, you know, it's not one that you kind of expect him to score, potentially get it on target, but again, another half chance. But the first twist in the game was obviously the goal when Bobby Bannon, he's played a through ball, or I think it was Johnson, I could be wrong on that. He's crossed it into Gregory, who had a tap in. And it was the first real lapse of concentration in the game from Sunderland, I think. It cost both legs, really. Yeah, you know, Alex Neil, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, Alex Neil said it was, you know, the only time that, that they got in. It was a, maybe a bit lazy from from Patrick Roberts, you know, because time we're, we're maybe trying to sort of spring them on the counter, which is obviously the plan, I think, is to sit in for sort of 60 minutes. And then after that, they're probably, you know, a bit, you know, tired. And then, then we can use, you know, Clark and Roberts to, to spring us forward. So it was maybe just that one little lapse. And, you know, if, if you give Bannon, you know, I think we gave him too much space anyway. Um, but if you give him, you know, one one bit of space and, you know, he's he's got the ability to do that. You know, it's it's the same with, a, you know, a McGeady or, or a Pritchard at this level. Um, but, you know, over, over what it was, say, 190 minutes because of the, you know, the 10 minutes plus we had added on. Um, you know what one one lapse in concentration out of that is is not bad considering the sort of you know mistakes that we've made and the performances we've had you know before before Alex Neil um, has has come in so you can't I think that we can you know we can have too much of a gripe with that and and you know like James said this team doesn't really know you know how to lose and you you've got to keep going all the way to the end and I don't think we've had that resilience in you know, since we've been down in, it's what's is what's been missing. You know, a bit of you know, just sitting, let let them do their thing because they're gonna they're gonna try with, with you know the crowd and you know I think I'd say we we were obviously better and dealt with our crowd better than I than I think they did. I think they were a bit rushed, they're a bit panicky, and they you know they didn't have the composure as you know as, as maybe they they think they have, but obviously they they've got that to learn. We've been here for four years now; it's taken a long time to learn and get the right people in. Um, but I think we're we're finally there now. But yeah, we as as with the goal, it's just it's one lapse, and you know we we still know that you know we we will get a chance, and and nine times out of ten, you know under Neil we've we've taken that chance. So again, that that resilience in the team can only can only bode well for you know obviously the the Wembley game and and the going forward should you know Neil stay, which I, I would expect he will. Yeah, and obviously the goal. James, it, when you take into account how big the game is, you know, especially with being the second leg, how late in the game it was, the fact that it's going to get them 34,000 Sheffield Wednesday fans up for it again, it's very easy for a team, not just Sunderland, to crumble under the pressure then. Um, and like Michael alluded to a little bit earlier, under previous managers, we probably would have. But since Alex Neils came in, we've looked a lot more solid and we'll get on to the goal shortly, but there really is a, a kind of never-die attitude in this team now. There is. I think Alex Neil's central to that. He, You know, he, after the goal went in, he told everybody to, to calm down a bit, not to worry, um, which I think Sunderland would have done previously under, under previous managers. He's got that calmness about him, that determination. And I think everybody knows the jobs as well. And there's experience there. And he, he draws on that. You had Corey Evans. Um, Danny Bart, Bailey Wright, um, you know, there's there's youth in that side as well, in, in Dennis Serkin and Patterson and Clark and and whatnot. But even players like Luke O'Nine and Gooch, they've been here before in, in playoff semis as well. So Sunderland were just able to draw on all that experience, especially from from Danny Bart and and Bailey Wright, who I thought were both absolutely 
outstanding across the two legs and that's a real solid defensive partnership. To be honest, I didn't think Bailey Wright could play in a back four, um, but he's he's proven me wrong. I, I thought he was he was best in a in a five, to be honest, but he's been brilliant with Barton. You know, we'll talk about lapses of concentration um from Sunderland and stuff like that, but I'm not even sure it was necessarily that because at, at times in games when you're playing in semi-finals and finals against teams of a, a similar quality, you, you go, you're going to give up chances at times. And, you know, Barry Bannon, that ball through, completely cuts Sunderland up. And it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal pass. And it's very difficult to stop that. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, a, a team full of, of championship experienced players. Windass Bannon, Gregory, um, Johnson, Harley Dean's played there, Hutchinson, Peacock, Peacock Farrell's on loan from Premier League team. Uh, Luongu, these are all lads who have who have been there and done it before. So, in terms of just limiting them to to one goal over the over the hundred and eighty minutes, I think is a a really impressive feat. And Alex Neil deserves all the credit, but sort of the players and you know the likes of Gucci and Nine who have been part of previous failures as well. They're going to want to really right the wrongs, and there's a lot of motivation there now. Clark and Roberts, you can argue, are sort of playing for a future in the game. Um, I think you saw that you saw that against Sheffield Wednesday in the, in the second leg and the first leg as well. Particularly, you know, Roberts in the first leg with those Maisie runs, and then Clark setting up Roberts in the second. These are players who've gone for you know big money early doors. They've had a lot of hype about them, and you know, they've had expectations on them quite young, and it's it's mm. weighed heavy on them. And it's it's not worked out for them. Let's be honest. Otherwise, they wouldn't be at Sunderland. You know, when Manchester City bought Patrick Roberts for. Fifteen million pound or twelve million pound, whatever it was, they didn't expect him to. Nobody expected him to be to be at Sunderland five years later or six years later. Same with Jack Clark moving from Leeds to Tottenham for big money, valued as one of Europe's you know hottest prospects. And these lads have got something to prove, and they're still young enough to prove it. And Alex Neil seems to be getting the best out of them. And I thought Clark did really well tracking back and and helping Dennis Sergan. So yeah, it's um, very positive at the moment. Yeah. And there was one thing that I noticed, especially during the second leg, Michael, which luckily didn't really hurt Sonnen too much. Um, and I don't know if it's just me that thought it. We'll see. But we did seem to give Barry Bannon a lot more space in this game. You know, in the first leg, he didn't have a sniff all game. Um, Onayan was, you know, was, was on his heels every time he got the ball. But, you know, it was three, four, maybe five occasions in the second leg when the ball went wide or through the middle to Bannon. And we just seemed to... Uh, kind of sit back from a little bit and you know a player of his quality like James alluded to that pass for the goal is a pass that not many players in this league can pull off but we did seem to give him a little bit more space than we perhaps needed to at times yeah that was probably, I think that was the case throughout the whole game with a lot of Sheffield Wednesday's players when we were giving them a bit more time to pass through the middle or to go out wide and try and put crosses into the box and so on uh, I don't know I, I don't quite know what the tactic would have been behind that but I would imagine that Alex Neal's thinking is that if you, even if you give Bannon or whoever else it is, Gregory um, or Windass or Hulk Palmer, whoever else it is, if you give them the time on the ball, then he's confident enough in our defence to be able to deal with crosses into the box or to deal with through. And again, apart from, like we said, apart from the pass that led to the goal, we dealt with them pretty comfortably. So I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know. I mean, there was a couple of times, I think I remember, I think Luke O'Nine was trying his, no, that was with Windass, wasn't it? Never mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember have I can't remember him having as much time on that. He certainly had more time than he did in the first leg, but that was because in the first leg, Luke O'Neill like literally stuck to him like glue. You know, he wouldn't let him run. He wouldn't let him try to find any passes whatsoever. 
uh, try and in, in orchestrate play or anything like that. But at the end of the day, it didn't cost us. And I can see what you mean, though. It could very well easily have, because Barry Bannon is one of the best players in the division. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't cost us. And we're not going to face someone. And I know we'll probably touch on Wickham later on down the line, but we're not yeah. going to face someone like that at Wembley. So we can think that as a bit of a relief. Yeah. Um, and obviously the game went on, John. We didn't make any changes, which people were, were kind of clamouring for a little bit. And, you know, at the time, given the magnitude of the game, the timing and the fact Sunderland weren't offering too much at the time is probably justified. But Alex Neal stuck with it. He explained after the game that he stuck with it because, you know, they hadn't really done anything wrong in the game, which I get. And 93rd minute, obviously it was 10 minutes added on, Sheffield Wednesday fans seem adamant that that was added on from Sunderland's time-wasting, not the head injury that their centre-back was down for, which I find strange. But 10 minutes added on, third minute of added time. Danny Bart plays it over the top to Jack Clark, who I think was supposed to be marked by Mendes Lang, but he wasn't. He cuts inside for the first time, probably since he signed for us, puts a ball in the box with Patrick Robert, who scores, and... At that time, there's just so many emotions going through your head. I'd imagine that you know relief, joy, just everything when that ball hits the net. Yeah, definitely. You know, it had everything. Obviously, we've all seen the the videos and the pictures and the the YouTubers. You know, all those types of videos. Um, you know, even down to myself and my, you know, my little boy in in our living room. You know, my my wife wasn't very happy with the noise nor with the dog. Um, but it's. <laughs> It was just, yeah, it was just, you know, it's just amazing. It's just one of those... A little bit of payback for the dog making the noise in the other podcast, eh? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's that's tough. Um, But yeah, it was just, it's just one of those amazing feelings that, you know, in, you know, years to come, you'll you'll remember, you know, how how you felt at that time. But, you know, it's, I don't don't want to criticise, you know, anyone, but it's it's about time, you know, Jack Clark did sort of uh, step up and make... You know, that make a real not they haven't made a real impact, but just for for something to actually come off and you know, for someone other than Stuart to maybe be in the box and take that chance. And obviously Neil was explaining that after. And you know, it's nice for it's nice for us to have those options and for that actually to to come off and again, you know, I think as well it, it probably goes unnoticed, but I think we're probably one of the fittest fittest teams in the league, you know, to score that many late goals and even when the ball goes over the top for Jack Clark, Ross Stewart is full sprint. Now, two, three days ago, you know, he looked knackered in the last sort of, you know, um, 20 minutes of the game. But then yesterday, you know, he, he was absolutely, you know, storming through. Obviously, he didn't get on the end of it because Jack Clark was there. Um, but, you know, Robert Robert's getting involved, Jack Clark getting involved. You know, Pritchard probably wasn't his best game, but he did... You know, he he did what he needed to in in his pressing and you know working hard and winning the balls and getting back and getting up the pitch and you know with Ross Stewart there as well we've got a you know we have got an absolute you know amazing front four like like James was saying before and you know that we've always got to trust that doesn't matter what minute it is you know we can do that to teams doesn't matter if we're you know even if we're God forbid if we're one nil down to to Wickham and and it's late on you you know they'll be worried you know hopefully it doesn't happen but they'd be worried you know I think every team you know playing us under nil would be worried that you know we have got the players who can who can do that and that that goes to to Alex Neil you know I'm sure all of us were screaming for a substitute to come on you know maybe an Embleton to come on or you know certainly Matei in the middle just to to shore it up a little bit but again fair play to 
to Alex Neal who comes out and he says, oh, I'll back myself. And, you know, that's that's what we need as a, as a manager to, to you know, to back himself and, you know, finally back himself and, and get it right. And that's, you can't ask for a lot more when the, you know, the results are coming in. Yeah. Well, it did finish 1-1 and obviously that did mean Sunderland were through to a final, James. Um, and, and we've said multiple times now about how good of a job Alex Neal's done since he came in. Like you said, one game he has lost and that was the first game that he took control of. But even still, I think some people are undermining just how good of a job he's actually done. You know, especially the timing of the appointment, the whole Roy Keane saga. Um, and he comes in, there's that extra sense of pressure, I'd imagine, as a manager coming in when you perhaps weren't, you know, first choice, as it seemed at the time, but he's came in. These are still not his players. You know, he, he didn't have a transfer window. He had one striker for large parts of the season with Defoe retiring. Um, one of the centre-backs was sold before he came in. So he's had a lot to kind of deal with, and it is genuinely incredible how well he dealt with it. No, you're absolutely right. I think the, the manner in which he was appointed, because if you cast your minds back... Um, to January, you've got the whole Defoe saga. People are a little bit tired of Johnson. We get humped six nil away to Bolton. Everyone's on the floor. Um, Johnson sacked on the day before transfer deadline day or whatever it whatever it was. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a shambles, really. You're looking at it, but then you have the sort of the high of Defoe coming back and everyone's buzzing um, that he's coming, uh, and I was as well, rightly so, because uh, we thought it would make a difference. You then have the the Roy Keane story start to circulate. That takes a long time. Everyone's convinced he's coming. Um, he, you know, he has the TV appearances on ITV with his wry smile. And to be honest, I, I'm a Sunderland fan, um, first and foremost, you know, sort of a reporter second. Um, and I was disappointed that, that Roy Keane didn't come because he's box office and I know what he did for the club in the city before. And I'm not going to lie, when Alex Neil was appointed... I sort of thought, I looked at it rationally and thought, well, I'm, I'm disappointed because it's not Roy Keane. And yeah. I know how much that would have that would have meant to me personally, just because I, I like the bloke. And, you know, as a Sunderland fan, I think we all thought that way. And, I, you know, I wasn't, yeah, Alex Neal's record was, was always was always really good. And, you know, it was always a, a coup to get him at League One level. But it, it is very underwhelming when a guy like that comes in. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know too much about his personality and, and stuff like that, but um, and I, obviously I don't know him personally, but from sitting in press conferences and stuff like that, he's really grown on me. He's um, he's very he's very sharp. He's very to the point. He's very detailed. Um, it's probably not the best for some of my colleagues, but he he doesn't mind just giving a one word answer or sort of he will let you know if if he thinks what you've asked is a stupid question, not in a rude way, but he will you know he'll he'll let his feelings know. And I think. With Lee Johnson, not to criticise him too much, but he liked to talk and I think he liked to be led down the garden path sometimes and, you know, talk for, for quite a lot and quite often, which is great for, for journalists. But Alex Neil seems to be sort of the antithesis of that. Um, yeah. Sunderland's recruitment, and just to go off on a bit of a tangent, Sunderland's recruitment this season, I don't think, has been good enough. I think if you consider that we still haven't got enough full-backs at the club, um, we still haven't really got a... You know, a backup for for Stewart and Broadhead. Now Defoe's gone. There's been a lot of questionable decisions letting Tom Flanagan go, letting Hume go, um, which are, are fine on the surface. But then, if you fail to bring fail to bring replacements in it, it's a real problem. So for Alex Neil to then sort of come in and mask those flaws that are still there, by the way, he's just done a very yeah. good job of of covering them up. Um, I think he's done 
uh, an exceptional job. But I, th- I feel like as well, Lee Johnson does deserve a, a bit of credit as well because Lee Johnson was came in with a with a remit of lowering the average age of Sunderland's playing staff. He was tasked with implementing a style and a system to get out of League One. Um, he was tasked with bringing some bringing through some of Sunderland's younger players from the academy. He sort of did all that in a way, um, but because he had those constraints on his job it meant that he maybe wasn't able to to do certain things. Now, when he was sacked, Alex Neal's come in and his his mantra, his remit is get out of League One at all costs. So he doesn't necessarily have some of those same um, sort of restrictions, possibly that's too strong a word, um, around his sort of, around his philosophy and stuff like that. It's sort of, sort of give him the keys to it. Whereas with Lee Johnson, that they were trying to sort of build an overarching strategy, which I do think is still there. It hasn't been scrapped altogether, but... In terms of the style of play, it's you know it's Alex Neal's way or the highway, which I think managerially is is probably how it should be. But yeah, a fantastic job, and as I said earlier, he's very straight talking, and he doesn't give a lot away, doesn't give a lot of emotion away. Um, you know, when you do get a smile out of him or a little reaction, it's it's sort of like less is more. It's like all right, okay, like it, you know, it gives you a bit of a boost. But to see that reaction when they scored, um, when Robert scored, that, that was. Yeah. That was amazing. That's up. That for me, that's up there with like any manager reaction we've had. Like, you know, I'm not a great fan of his personally, but Paolo Di Canio. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Big Sam against Everton or Poirier against Newcastle. One of the three nils. That sort of fist pump, and that I thought that was amazing. To be honest, um, I didn't expect that from a, from him at all because he's so measured uh, usually. Um, but he allowed himself a little 10 second celebration there, and do you know what? He deserves it because he's he's done an exceptional job. Yeah. And just to add on to that, James, I think when you compare Alex Neal with other managers, I think he is the first manager we've had in, well, probably since the Premier League, that I would trust us to take to the next level and do a good job there. He did a very good job in Norwich when he was there. He did a pretty good job at Preston, given the circumstances. So obviously there's a long way to go between now and then, and it's going to be a very long two-week wait to see what does happen. But he is a manager that I would trust next season, regardless where we are. Absolutely, he's he's yeah, he's the best manager we've had in League One. You could argue he's the best manager that we've had since dropping out of the Premier League, because obviously the competition isn't too high, and Chris Coleman and and Simon Grayson, um, given the records. But yeah, his championship record's very good, and it's almost by by accident Sunderland have sort of Sunderland sort of fell on a, a really good manager with the flirtation with Roy Keane and we know there was a couple of other names in the frame but it's almost we've sort of kind of fallen on Alex Neal and it's um it's worked out really well and I think the thing that comes across about Neil having sat in on press conferences and talked to colleagues and you know people around the club is he's just so meticulous that's not to say that other managers haven't been but at the moment Alex Neal seems to be backing it up I mean I was I was stunned that Alex Neil was at the five nil um, the five nil at the Stadium of Light between yeah. Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday. I, I know you know you, you shouldn't be because he's an out of work football manager. He's an ex footballer. Football's his passion. But I just thought he's got an eye on this level. He wants to know the division. He he he's identified that he could probably get in in League One. Um, and I think. You know, for him to drop down in League One as well, I think it shows a lot about him. Um, because he, he probably could have got a championship job if he'd have waited long enough. He yeah, didn't yeah. do a bad job at Preston at all. Um, Norwich was exceptional. Uh, 
so yeah, he comes across as a, a thoroughly decent bloke, meticulous in his preparation. Everybody seems to like him. Everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows the jobs. He's got everybody motivated. And he doesn't seem overall by the crowd either. Um, yeah. He seems to take everything in a stride. Completely different character, really, to to Lee Johnson. Um, completely different to Phil Parkinson. Without doubt, the best manager we've had in League One so far, regardless of what happens at Wembley for me. I, I did like Jack Ross and... You know, you sort of have to judge all of these managers in amongst the sort of the the situations at the club at the time. But Alex Neil, pound for pound, has has been brilliant for me so far. And I think, you know, if if we you know if we didn't go up, we need to move heaven and earth to try and keep him. Um, and hopefully he, he will stay. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, a player ratings will move into and we'll try and rattle through these fairly quickly before we start to look ahead a little bit to the final. And Michael, we'll start with you with Patterson. Um, I'd probably go with a six. Um, a couple of times came for cross, didn't quite get there, but nothing came of it. I don't think there's much he can do with the goal. So, six. Yeah, he's going to have little wobbles now and again. But, and then he's had a couple of them, but in general, he's been solid. And last night, Apart from the incidents you mentioned and the goal, which he had no chance with, didn't have anything to do, so six. Yeah, John? Yeah, same again for six. Uh, I thought he'd kick in the spot on last night, even though I was a bit worried sometimes, but he managed to managed to sort them out. A few, few airy moments, but again, he's a young lad. You've got to expect that. You know, he's not a, you know, it's not like he's played 200 games and he's sort of, you know, 25, 26, as he's still very, very young. So, to be fair, uh, we'll, we'll give him that. Yeah. And it's his birthday today, so happy birthday, Pat. It is. A very good day for a birthday, I suppose, as well, after that. Um, and that's not least James. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go with a six. He was, it's the it's the most fearful I've been of him for a while, which I think says a lot about his improvement, but I think he'll he'll bounce back. It was, it was a big game. Yeah. Um, Michael, your favourite again. Um, obviously, left the pitch covered in blood. And, you know, he put his body on the line for everything, won every header, every tackle, um, just did everything he needed to do. Bailey Wright, goal in nine. Completely agree. He's an absolute warrior. Without him, I would be, with, I think he's a key reason why we're keeping clean sheets. I know we didn't keep one last night, but why we look more solid defensively. And it's good to see that people are finally starting to give him the credit that he actually deserves. Yeah. John? Yeah, definitely a nine for me. Uh, you know, an absolute leader back there. Um, you know, put his body on the line, as we saw at the end, you know, his shirt covered in blood, which I've asked for, but they haven't got back to me yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, what a, you know, what a, an unsung hero this season. Yeah. And James? He gets a 10 for me just for walking around going good day to people, to be honest. Yeah, That's... I do love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll change my mind, I'll bump my rating up to 10. <laughs> yeah, 10 for me as well. Worth it. Um, Does that make me an influencer then, if you're changing my ratings? Yes. It does, yeah. <laughs> Danny Bart, obviously, when he came in, his debut, I think, was very impressive. Kind of fell off a little bit. Obviously, that own goal against Bolton in the hammering. Um, had a few games out with injury and then found himself on the bench. But since he's came back in, I think he's been very solid. And again, you know, like Michael said, Billy Wright's been pivotal to our defensive record recently. I think Danny Bart has been as well. So again, probably go with a nine, Michael. Completely agree. Again, I, I can't remember if it was him who lost Gregory for the goal, but um, I suppose if, if, even if, if, if it is him, that's whoever it is, it's being hypercritical. So in general, both of them, him and Bailey Wright, did excellently, can contain a very good chef where team. Like James mentioned earlier, they've got some good players. So to keep them at bay for basically, what, 190 minutes, if you include added time, not easy yeah. to do so nine. Yeah. John? 
Yeah, same known for me. Just an absolute unit of a defender, and it, it, you know exactly you know what we've probably been crying out for for four years. So you know, finally he's here, and it's and it's working out. Yeah, no good days from Danny Bart, but are you going to go in the nine gyms? <laughs> yeah, nine for me. <laughs> um, Dennis Hirkin, um worked hard throughout the game, got forward well on a few occasions. Um, probably go with a seven, Michael. Yeah, steady, solid. Like I said with Danny Bart, you know, it's not an easy, they're not an easy team to play against, but for the most part, I handled the occasion well enough, so seven for me. Yeah, John. Um, I probably bumped him up to an eight. I thought he was I thought he was fairly solid back there. Um he, he got the ball out and got us got us up the pitch quite a few times, won a free one few. I, free think, I think the only thing I would say about him was that missed slide tackle, which I don't think was a penalty. Sheffield Wednesday fans seem to think it was, but that could have ended quite badly, that missed clearance. Yeah, I think I'm I probably even bumped him up to a nine with the, uh, you know, trying to head it on the floor. You know, that's yeah. that's some skill that. But um, yeah, Taking I thought Luke was, nine. Yeah, exactly. But and again, I think even in the air, I think they tried to target him, and he's, I think he's very, very, very good in the air, apart from in the opposition's box. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably put him up to an eight. Yeah, James. Uh, yeah, probably an eight for me as well. Actually, I thought he did well. Yeah. On the other side, Lyndon Gooch again, very similar to the first leg. I think more of a reliance was on defending as opposed to attacking, and I think he did very well. So again, probably go with a, a seven or an eight, Michael. I'd go with an eight, and this is coming from someone who obviously has been one of his biggest critics. Um, I think defensively was outstanding. Um, obviously, I think didn't influence it that much going forward, but was never really going to. I don't think in this particular game, given it's Hillsborough and given the fact we were leading on on aggregate. So, but yeah, eight. And if he, if he does end up leaving at the end of the season with his contract running out, then hopefully he helps us go up, and what a better way to go out on. Yeah, John. Yeah, I'll go with an eight. You know, like, like Michael said, he's not he's not going to be there to to go forward um, a lot and influence the game in that way. But yeah, defensively, I thought he was I thought he was absolutely superb. And you know, you know what you're going to get from him. He works his ass off, which I think is the reason he's in there. Yeah, and James. Yeah, I'll go for an eight. Eight out of ten, or eight all around. Corey Evans in midfield. Um, again, a player that has came back into the team and. Completely changed people's opinion of him. I thought he was excellent again last night. Made some good interceptions, good tackles. Um, and I think one thing, it might have been Alex Neal that said it, just as positioning at times makes it difficult for teams to play through. You know, Even if he doesn't have a direct impact on the player, him just being there covers that space and makes it harder for teams to play through. So again, probably go with an eight, Michael. Yeah, likewise. I think the biggest compliment you can give him is that he's one of the first names on the team sheet, which we certainly wouldn't have said weeks and weeks ago. Yeah, John? Yeah, same go for an eight. Again, a massive, probably unsung hero for, you know, under nil um, after a, maybe a, a sort of a sticky start. Um, also as well, nice to see him getting in the ref's face, you know, at every single point to, to argue, you know, our case, which we've probably been missing, you know, a few seasons down there. Yeah. And James, last but not least. Yeah, same for me. I think his leadership qualities are, are starting to shine through, which is good. Yeah. Um, Luke O'Neill also midfield and again was kind of tasked, not as heavily, but still to Mark Bannon. Um, obviously had that kind of battle for the game with Windass and probably won it on more occasions than not. Probably seven, Michael. Yeah, I'm just going to bump him up to an eight just for the shit house we did when he rolled round on the yeah. horn to annoy their fans. That was funny, so eight. Yeah, John. Uh, I'll probably go for seven again. I think he did a lot of the donkey work, you know, 
few people don't see. He was getting his body in there, getting his head in there, just launching himself in there. Maybe my own slight criticism is he, he maybe just over on the ball a couple of times, but I don't think he's in there for his, his ball skills. So we'll, again, we'll maybe let him off of those. Yeah. James? Um, I'm going to be harsh and go 6.5 because... Uh, he just went after Wednesday's score. He just couldn't keep the ball when Sunderland really needed to keep yeah. the ball, and I think that's the sort of thing that can cost her in big games. It didn't this time, but uh, the frustrating thing is, I know he he can keep his foot on the ball, but for some reason he couldn't last night. Um, but John's right; he does do a lot of the donkey work. But I thought I thought if there was one weak link, I thought I thought it was all nine to be honest. But he does bring a lot to the team in other ways, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the final in terms of selection. Yeah. Um, on the attack, Jack Clark, a couple of times in the first half, I think it was, where he didn't track back like he was in the in the first leg. Um, luckily, he didn't come to anything. Second half, saw quite a bit more of the ball. Um, and like I said, right at the start, he did look to cut inside more often than he usually does. You know, he is very right-footed and becomes very predictable when he tries to cut in on that right. But the one time he did cut on his left, ends up in a goal and an assist for himself. So I'd probably go an eight, Michael. Yeah, I didn't think he had the most influential um, of games, certainly in the earlier stages of the game. But again, it's it's one of those where I think for me it's going to be harder to give the attackers more higher ratings. I didn't think we did as much going forward. But saying that, he made a very good run and got the, well, basically the, the tie-winning assist. So I agree. Yeah, John. Yeah, same ago overnight. Obviously, we know he's got his his deficiencies in, you know, sort of tracking back. But I thought second half he did he did that a lot better. Obviously, got a kick up the arse from from Alex Neil. Um, and again, as Michael said, provided the you know the ultimate assist that that sends us through in the tie. So yeah, he was he was decent. That one one thing I will say is that run that he did. I think it was minutes after we conceded, where we just seemed to charge towards our own goal was very nerve wracking. If you remember that, yeah. That's and then just after smart. that, I think he, uh, I think he skinned every every one of their players, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, <laughs> he turned, he, he he got through in the end, but that you know, then five seconds where he just seemed to be charging in at at the wrong goal was a little bit nerve wracking. But there was a bit of profanity being shouted at the TV when he was doing that from me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't don't blame you. Um, but yeah, Jack Clark, James. Yeah, he gets a bit for me as well. Yeah, Patrick Roberts. Obviously, he is the one that got the goal, and he was excellent in the first leg, and I thought he was very good in the second as well. Um, when he gets on the ball, you know, he can find them tight spaces and work his way out of them. Could improve his third final product, sorry, a little bit more, but, you know, a good run to get into the box, you know, that late in the game after how much he'd been running. And, you know, he gets the finish and that's all that matters in the end. So, again, probably go with eight, Michael. I um, agree with it. Um, again, like, it's a similar thing with Clark, where, again, I don't think the game last night was for its attackers as much, but certainly from the winger's perspective. Uh, but Roberts obviously gets the goal and he does really well to run in um, pretty much nip in front of his man and then slotted home. So yeah, eight for me. Yeah, John. Yeah, same go for eight. Uh, I think again he did a lot of a lot of hard work because uh, sort of Sheffield were on the attack. Um, but you know, like he maybe hasn't done as much, but he actually finds himself you know in a good position and gets across his uh, gets across the defender and ultimately sends us sends us to Wembley. So yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Yeah, and James. I'll give him a nine just for the importance of the goal. Very good. Alex Pritchard, um, very industrious in terms of off-the-ball work, I think, in the game. You know, Sunderland did kind of sit off Sheffield Wednesday in, in spells in the game. Pritchard was doing well with pressing it. Don't think he did too much offensively, but didn't really have the opportunities to do so. So I'd probably go with a seven, Michael. 
Yeah, I was debating between. I think I, that's probably a fair rating. I think it's one of his weaker ratings, but again, it's it's one of those where we uh, more of an emphasis was on defending, which didn't allow him to, as much time to shine. Um, so, but yeah, seven. But we know he's capable of better. We know that he's good, and I think certainly in the final against Wickham, I think we're going to see a bit more joy with the ball than what we did last night. Yeah, John. Um, I'll probably go up to an eight. Actually, I think he, I think he was really good, sort of on the defensive. You know, a lot of the times he was sort of on the edge of our box, and he was he was doing a lot of the dirty work, um, sort of there where you don't ex- you don't expect um, from time to time. I thought he he did that really well and kept the ball in sort of positions to to get us up the pitch. Um, we didn't have the runners that we would normally do be able to pick out, and you know I don't think it's always fair to judge him. You know, on a sort of an attacking performance when he's to be fair, he has done. You know he. He's done the team a, a good service there, I think. Yeah, James. I'll go in between Michael and John. I'll go seven point five. Both both good points made. Pretty much so. And last but not least, Ross Stewart. Um, usual self. Michael worked hard, pressing, won his headers. So seven. Yeah, can't disagree with any of that. Yeah, John. Yeah, same go for seven. Um, like we said earlier, he was, you know busting a gut in you know in the last sort of 10 minutes uh of added, t- added time you know giving it and keeping the ball up um so you, you know you know you're going to get that from him and you know the, the goals will come so there's nothing to worry about that but yeah they're hard work in seven display yeah and james yeah seven for me as well very much so man of the match i think we're probably all in agreement on bailey right of course yeah good out very much so definitely indeed <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just before we finish up, James, well, we do play Wickham in the final, um, a team that get talked about a lot in terms of the way they play football and the way they go about winning games. It works for them. Will it work on a Wembley pitch? Who knows? We'll wait and see. But how do you see Sunderland kind of preparing for this game? You know, because ultimately the last 47 games of this season mean absolutely nothing if we don't win in the final. No, absolutely not. First of all, Wickham Wanderers are a horrible, nasty, brutish, fiddly team to play against, and I mean that in the best possible way. Master of the Dark Arts, um, people say they can't play on a Wembley pitch. I do get that argument. I think that the Wembley pitch does favour Sunderland, but let's not forget that Wickham have have won um, on a Wembley pitch before going up through the playoffs, albeit there was no fans in there at the time. So this whole Wickham can't play on a Wembley pitch don't necessarily think I buy that, but I do understand the logic behind the pitch favouring Sunderland because it will be, you know, it will favour Sunderland's ball players. But Wickham are a, an intelligent, clever team. Gareth Ainsworth gets a lot of stick, and you know he's a he's an eccentric character, so you can sort of not condone it, but understand why it comes his way. But he's a very shrewd manager at this level. Sunderland actually approached him when um, Jack Ross was was sacked, but he, he turned turned it down. Um, he knows what he's doing. They had that season of the championship. They've got bags of experience, Volks, and it's, it's Akinfen was last game, I think, professional game for Akinfen. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't put it past him to do something. You just never know, do you? It's one-off games at Wembley are, are tough, but in terms of preparations, we know how Sunderland will prepare, and it'll be meticulously through Alex Neil because that's what he does. He'll he'll have them schooled on everything, and he'll pick a side that he thinks can beat Wickham. Um, he knows how Wigan play. He'll watch videos and videos and videos because that's what he does. Um, and yeah, it, it'll be a fantastic occasion. And you know, Sunderland will have Sunderland will have an advantage in terms of fans in the ground as well. We know that doesn't guarantee you um, the win. Um, it's quite the opposite 
and sometimes it can add to the pressure. But if Sunderland can harness the fans, um, they're in with a chance because they'll outsell Wickham by possibly two to one, you know, yeah. something like that. Um, which is no slight on Wickham fans. They're just different in different parts of the country, different areas, you know, different things around. And that's not me criticising, but the facts remain that Sunderland will be backed by a bigger following than Wickham. Um, and you hope that Sunderland can can make that count because you know the, the, this team have got a lot of stuff going for them in terms of experience and they've been at Wembley before. Um, they've got a lot of attack and quality, but you know Sam Vokes is a, a Welsh international as well, and and Wickham have got some very handy players who are who are shrewd and experienced, so it's all to play for. And to be honest, coming into this, I, I said that I would hate to f- to face Wickham in the in the final at Wembley just because of you know of how coy they can be and yeah. you do not want to go a goal behind to Wickham at any point in that game because they will just sit on it and it'll be excruciating. Um you've got to you've got to go out and sort of look to draw first blood against them so you can maybe get them out and and get them playing so you can get them on the counter. But I think if you go a goal down against Wickham at Wembley it's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, and I'll let you get a start, James. Probably the hardest one of the season, but what are your predictions for the score? Um, I'm not going to give you a score, but I think Sunderland are going to do it. Hopefully so. John, score predictions. I'm not going to let you off as easy as that. Uh, well, I'll take any win. You know, you've you've got to expect some sort of shitty conceded goal. So I'll probably say 2-3-1. Um, yeah, it's not probably not going to be the... Uh, the prettiest of games. Um, the only thing I would say is we can, you know, the way we can play. I think, I think we are sort of a bit of a bastard team ourselves, and I think we've got the players to to maybe deal with that. If if you look at when we played them, I don't think this team get bullied like obviously we did when you know it was free and we had the we had the ability to to score free goals against them. You know, if if you're solid defensively, then that that's a good away win. There, I think that's the difference now, but. It's a final Wembley, you know, anything can happen as, you know, and I don't want Akin Fenway to score at no. all. But yeah, just just win the game, that'll do for me. Our, yeah. our record against Wickham is actually fairly good as well. I know I'm sort of talking Wickham up, but when, when we've played them, we've actually done all right against them. I just think they're a, yeah. a bloody nightmare, to be honest. Yeah, <clears throat> probably even worse in the final as well, I'd imagine, but we'll see. Last but not least, Michael. Yeah, I think this is one where really if someone put the application in, they should be looking to win the game. And I know it's not as easy as that and we don't make it as easy as that. But if you look at the, like I said, I know James doesn't say he doesn't buy that. For me, I do buy the idea that I think Wickham's tactics, I think, will get exploited on a bigger pitch. And yeah, they beat Oxford a couple of years ago, but I remember watching that game. Oxford had chances to score and win the game themselves. So I think we can get at Wickham. Um, I think it obviously is going to be a horrible game. So I have to give you a prediction. I'll say 2-1. I know I like clean sheets, but every time I can predict a clean sheet, we always concede. <laughs> if we concede, I always seem to get a clean sheet. So um, if, I think you're, you're right. We've got to get the first, draw first blood here. Um, and you guys are right. We don't want to be going 1-0 down in this game. Um, but ultimately for me, the performance for me, I don't give two hoots about. It's just winning the game and finally getting out of this league. But I think we'll win 2-1. Yeah, hopefully so. But we'll see. Um, that is all the time we have today. We'll have a preview out for the final at some point in the coming week or two. So keep an eye out for that. We'll get a Wickham fan on to talk us through how they're feeling ahead of the final and whether they are confident or not. But until then, we will see you later. That's all, folks.